I feel like that video says enough, and we could just say amen, and, and is that not what God has called all of us to? Just faithfulness and obedience. And, and here's, a, here's a beautiful thing about that testimony, it is, is that it wasn't, it wasn't the words that Dallas said. It wasn't whoever made the card that, that, that did all of the life change. It was Jesus that changed Dallas's dad's life. All Dallas and his daughter had to do was just be faithful. Just say yes. And I think for us sometimes, church, like one of the struggles that we have is we struggle with the yes. You know, we, we, we understand the power of God. We understand the moving of the Holy Spirit. We read about it in scripture, we study it, we talk about it, we, we, we understand the concepts of it, but then we get to that final place of where God just says, follow me, and then that's where we hesitate a little bit. So we ask ourselves sometimes, are you really talking to me? Is it, is it me that you're really talking to? Or, or, or we question what it is that God is leading us to do, and we say, well, is that really what you want me to do? Is that really where you want me to go? Is that really who you want me to speak to? Church, I'm just saying that for the, as we move into the new year, I just simply believe this. I believe that it is, comes around two words. And it's, and it's not just two words for 2019. It's, it's two words for every single day of our lives until we breathe our last breath. That Jesus is just simply reaching out and saying to each of us, follow me. Just follow me. We're going to look at this today in Matthew chapter 4, as so we just continue in our series through the book of Matthew. Uh, I encourage you, as, as we move into the new year, to be here uh, as each and every week, Pastor Mercer will, will dive into the scriptures and he'll dive in to the book of Matthew, and it's going to be an incredible time as a church over this next year, something that you don't want to miss, something that you want to bring people to, as, as Matthew's gospel just it, it breathes such life and hope and the power of God and, and who Jesus is into our hearts and lives, you're not going to want to miss it, and as Pastor Mercer begins next week with the Sermon on the Mount, it's something that, that I think all of us uh, are going to grow from uh, an incredible amount throughout this year. And so make sure that you're here. We're just going to be in Matthew 4 today and looking at these words, follow me. And, and the question for us today is who are we following? Who is it that we are pursuing after? Because we can follow so many people. You know, in, in the forms of social media, if you're, if you're on Twitter, you're following somebody on Twitter. You're following somebody on Instagram. And, and you're kind of, it, it's almost as if you are a part of their lives without actually really being a part of their life. A, a musician, an athlete, or a celebrity. And, and so many of us, maybe we follow those people. Or we follow the latest trends or the latest fads. You know, if you have children, like the latest trend, the latest fad is a Nintendo Switch. You know, we got our kids a Nintendo Switch, and, and, you know, just because we're following after the crowd, I guess. And, uh, you know, and so any other parents, like, get the Nintendo Switch and live through that Christmas morning you want to give testimony to? Nobody? I'm sorry, children. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and so, you know, so, it, it, or a, a fad of clothing or a restaurant or something, we follow after these things so often. But, but for us, and, and, and where we're coming around today, the, the true thing that we are to follow, the only thing that we are to follow is Jesus Christ. Matthew understood this in his narrative, and, and his audience was a primarily Jewish audience. And so he has to set up 
exactly who the me is in the call of Christ to follow me. So that when Jesus comes around and says this and, and the Jewish audience is reading this, there's comprehension and understanding. It's why in Matthew chapter one, we see that Jesus is the savior, that he is the Messiah, that he's the son of David, the son of Abraham, that he is fully man and fully God. So the call to follow was not just to follow somebody else, it was to follow the Messiah. In Matthew chapter two, we see that Jesus is sovereign. And we see that he's pointing to Christ in this inauguration of a new exodus as Christ would be the new Moses brought out of Egypt was Jesus. And it's signifying here once again the sovereignty of Christ. So follow after him. Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist preparing the way. He is the righteous judge as John is preparing that way, as he's declaring that. But he is also, as we see in the baptism of Jesus, he is loved by the Father. So follow after him. In Matthew 4, it starts off with the temptation of Jesus. And what we see in that is that Jesus, as Paul would later write about, he is the new Adam because he did not give in to temptation. Whereas Adam was tempted with, did God really say? And Adam questioned that. Jesus was tempted and said, no, God said this and responded back to the temptations of Satan with exactly what the word of God said and did not give in to that. And so this is who Christ is. This is what it means for us to follow after him. It is not something insignificant. It is not something small. It is not something casual. And because of that, it means for us that there is a centrality of Christ when it comes to being a disciple. You know, a lot of people want to use that word disciple a lot. You know, if, if, you, know, if you ever were a Justin Bieber fan, you know, they, they called like fans of Justin Bieber believers, which I always thought was weird. And, and so, but they called them that and it was like these disciples of, of like little teenage girls that would swoon and holler and uh, all of those things and, and chase after his bus and all sorts of crazy stuff would go on with that. But is that really a disciple or is that just some sort of like fanatic? No, what Christ has called us to is to go much deeper into our walks and is to be exactly as we were just singing about, to be more and more and more like Jesus to grow deeper in who we are in him, to grow stronger in who we are in him and to grow to be more and more like him. See, in all the things that we follow in the world, those things are so predicated on, on fantasies of what that person may be like. You know, of, you know, are they really the same person that they, they put themselves up to be on television or on social media or, or in other forms of, of, of kind of advertising their brand and their person and who they are? And so we don't really know who those people are and what they are really like. You know, I, I just, I, I wanna break it to you uh, here, but, but you know, if you follow some sort of celebrity or something like that, I, sorry to break this bad news to you, but when they wake up in the morning, they have bad breath. <laughs> they do, they do. You're like, no, Tim, they, no, like they really do. Like they, they, they probably smell. You know, th there is a good chance those of you that have children can relate to this. There's probably a good chance that they stepped on their children's toys at some point and, and, and got a little angry about that. And we don't have any idea who these people really are and who they truly are. And, and so this idea of following somebody like that, it, it, it comes up short every single time because it's not based in reality. But the call to follow Jesus is a call to follow a person. It is to know that person and to spend a life in constant communion with Jesus Christ. 
That's what it means to follow after him. So, when, so in that reality, just the truth for us this morning, church, is that Jesus is worthy of far more than just our church attendance and just casual association. He is worthy of our absolute, supreme, uncontested worship in every aspect, in every facet of our lives. And this passage that we're gonna look at today just helps us see what it means to follow Jesus at the most basic level. And in response to this passage, here's here's my challenge for us this morning, just to kind of ask ourselves this question of am I, and just make it real personal for yourself this morning, am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? There is no more important question that can be asked for us this morning. And so what does it really mean to follow after Jesus? Look first, number one there in your notes is that it means to live abandoned. It means to live abandoned. In Matthew chapter four and verse 12, it says, Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. And so he withdrew to Galilee. And so as he was doing that, there's some prophecy that we see from the book of Isaiah that is quoted. But then it says in verse 17, it says, from that time on, as John had been put into prison, Jesus began to preach. Now circle this word there in your scriptures. Repent, circle that word, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus now finds himself. John the Baptist has prepared the way. Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. And now we come in here following the temptation of Christ. And in the narrative that Matthew is presenting to us, we see that John has now been put in prison. So Jesus then, as the Messiah, begins to take up that ministry. But notice, the ministry that Jesus took up of John the Baptist was the very same message that John had been preaching. It was to repent to repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So many people, they hear this idea of living abandoned and and what it means to follow after Jesus and and they immediately kind of take up the notion of leaving behind careers and money and fame and family. And, And that is a part of it. But core to the idea and central to the idea of abandonment is for you and I to leave behind sin. It is a call to repent. See, repentance, church, is mandatory if fellowship with God through Christ is to be enjoyed. the, The danger in our society and in the religious culture in which is permeating through through America today is this idea of casual Christianity. It is the idea that you can be a Christian and yet live as you choose to live and how you want to live and to do the things and act the way that you want to act absent of who you are in Christ. Church, that is not the Bible, that is heresy. That's all, that's what it is. No, when we are called to follow after Christ, we are called to abandon everything and core to that abandonment is that we abandon sin and the ways of the world because that is the very thing that separates us from our communion with Jesus. And so it's a call to repentance. It's admitting your sin in confession. It's just confessing that sin fully, openly, honestly, before God Almighty, saying, saying, here I am in all of my weakness, in all of my filth, in all of my wretchedness. This is where I am, God. I'm confessing this sin to you. But it is also expressing sorrow over that sin and contrition. See, so often we wanna say, you know, I'm so sorry for this, but we're not really sorry for it. I use this example a lot with our college students, but it would be akin to if I was gonna walk through the mall and I came across one of you in the mall and I punched you as hard as I could in the face. 
And then I was like, oh man, I'm really, really sorry. Please forgive me. And you kind of dust yourself off a little bit. I don't think you really dust yourself off a little bit, but you know, but just walk with me here. You dust yourself off a little bit. You say, okay, you know, I accept your apology. It's all good. Well, then if 15 minutes later, we're coming back through the food court and I punch you as hard as I can in the face again, first off, you're gonna get up and punch me in the face as hard as you possibly can. But if I then want to come back after doing it a second time and to say to you, oh, I'm really, really sorry, I didn't mean to do that, you're gonna look at me and be like, no, you absolutely meant to do that. Like, you weren't sorry for this. You, you said you were sorry 15 minutes ago and 15 minutes later, you're punching me in the face again. No, see, contrition in repentance is the expression of sorrow for that sin. Now, here's the thing, folks. It is the expression of sorrow in the sin, not that you got caught in the sin, but that the sin has separated you from God. That should bring sorrow to our souls. It should bring brokenness into our hearts. And that in that confession, followed by contrition, that then there comes conversion, where you then turn from your sin and move towards Jesus. The call to abandonment, to live abandoned, is to live a repented life. Yes, following Christ requires abandoning everything, but at its core, at its, core it means that we must abandon sin. That we admit our sin in brokenness to God, and then we run from it. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, said, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is the central message for any prospective disciple of Christ. This is where following Jesus starts. In a world that revolves around everything that has to do with self, protect yourself, promote yourself, advance yourself, preserve yourself, take care of yourself, Jesus has come into our midst today to just simply say this, slay yourselves. Abandon yourselves, repent, live abandoned. This was the message of Jesus then and it is the message of Jesus now for you and for me as we follow after him. Secondly, we're to live dependent, live dependent. Now it should be clear by now that, that following Christ is like the, the call to follow Christ is not the call to an easy life. Like, so don't mistake this this morning, that like this call to follow Jesus is this call to everything is easy and peachy keen and, and, you know, and ice cream and roses for the rest of your life. That, that is not what the situation here. But it is a call to, to a radical abandonment for the glory of Christ to live with joyful dependence on his grace. Joyful dependence on his grace. It is not a call to earn something from God by our kind of sacrificial lifestyles. And I think sometimes we miss this, is that we believe that in a moment Jesus saves, but then we believe after that moment when Jesus saves that it is a lifetime of us trying to earn or keep or hold on to that salvation. No, like it is a call to live dependently on the grace of Jesus in every step that we take and in every action that we move. Look at verses 18 through 22. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. In verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee and his brother, John. They were in the boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Jesus is the promised Messiah. And since he is the promised Messiah, he had the right to call these men from their normal pursuits of life to follow him. I think so many of us, sometimes we sit around and say, why would Jesus wanna call me? Why, why is Jesus, you know, I, I, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I don't have all the biblical knowledge in the room. You know, I, I, I didn't go to any kind of a seminary. You know, I'm, I'm just a young person or I'm an older person. You know, I, I'm somewhere in between. I've got all of this other stuff going on in my life or look at the sin that's been in my life and all these type things. And, and, and what we try to do is we try to like stack up all the reasons for why Jesus would not wanna call us and then why that keeps us and hinders us and impedes us from following after him. Notice that these men did nothing to earn the call of Jesus. Jesus chose them. Jesus went out and found them. And Jesus has entered into our midst here this morning and he's seeking you and he's seeking me and he's calling us, not because of who we are, not because of the list of accomplishments that we have in our lives, but because we are created in the image of God to be in a relationship with God. And Jesus has called us out of sin, out of death and into life in him to follow after him, to pursue after him. So much of our lives in Christ, like we, it, it ends up not being about dependent, but it becomes about things that are contingent. It's like, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow after you once I get myself cleaned up or once I get myself put together or once I accomplish X, Y, or Z or whatever it may be in our lives. See, we seek to accept Christ in that moment, but then negotiate our following him upon our credentials and efforts. Just hear me here this morning. Jesus is not looking for your resume. He's not. You know, we spend so much of our lives now, now in, in, in high school and college, the first part of college, they spend so much time on helping students, you know, build their resume and make their resume look appealing and attractive so that somebody will hire them. Anybody, any college students or high school students going through that right now? Yeah, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It, you know, and it, all, it always strikes me, like you're, you turn your resume in to a professor that's in a class is teaching you how to do this and they tell you whether it's a good resume or a bad resume and I always wanna ask myself, are you gonna hire me? But it's like we try to build ourselves up and to make ourselves look more appealing or more attractive. You know, it's like, like listen folks, like I have very few skills other than I can talk a lot. And you know, so it's like on my resume, it doesn't say I can talk a lot. It just says a, a, a skilled orator. What? It really doesn't say that on my resume, but, but you know, but I mean, like we try to like gloss it all up and make it all nice so that somebody will hire us. Jesus is not looking for your resume, folks. Jesus is looking at you, who you are, created by God, and he says, you are worthy. Come follow me. Who you are, just come follow me. Not your resume, he's looking for your obedience. He's looking for your yes. He's looking for your dependence. He is seeking and choosing us. Jesus chose us and he provides the power to use us so that he may get the glory through us. I, I, I wanna illustrate it like this. Anybody Olympics fans? People like watching the Olympics? Okay, so, so, so if you're an Olympic fan, even if you're not an Olympic fan, you know the name Carl Lewis. Everybody knows who Carl Lewis is. Um, Carl Lewis could jump a very, very long way. In 1991, at the Tokyo World Championship, Carl Lewis jumped 29 feet, 11 and one quarter inches. That's a long way. Now I say that to you, and, and, and he jumped this in the air. Can I just wanna, just wanna say this? He ran and he jumped in the air. 
so this is a family service. We have all the kids in here. So I'm going to invite my daughter to come up. Come here, Emma Grace. Hey, you can come here. Come to me. This is my daughter, Emma Grace. And so, say hey. All right. So here's what I want you to do, babe. Will you go stand over there by that Christmas tree? Watch your step. Okay. So there's Emma Grace. Emma Grace is Carl Lewis. Just go with it. And so, now, now, people that are on Creation Works may yell at me for, for this, but I'm just going to guesstimate that where I'm standing here and where Emma Grace is standing is around 30 feet. Creation Works, people, amen or not amen? Okay, all right, thank you. Now, do you see, like this is a human being that jumped this far, like a, a, a human it's unbelievable, like when you really put that in perspective, that from where Emma Grace is, that Carl Lewis jumped from that point to where I am standing in the air. Now, so many of us in this idea of the dependency of the grace of God, we miss it. Because we feel like, okay, I got to that point by the grace of God, but now somehow, some way I now have to figure out through my work and my effort and what I do of how to move from where Emma Grace is over to this place. How can I keep the favor of God? How, how, how do I not lose the grace of God? How, how do I, you know, in this whole following after him, how can I put together all of these works and all of these efforts and all of this stuff so, so that I can, you know, be the best Christian I could be, that I can check all the boxes, get all the gold stars, you know, and, and, and you know, perfect attendance at Church of Word. It's all of that type of stuff. How can I do that? And we're sitting here trying to figure it out. Now, Emma Grace, if I asked Emma Grace to jump from where she is to here, how far do you think you could get, Emma Grace? Do you think you could get all the way over here in one jump? <laughs> no. No. But some of you here this morning you're looking at where Emma Grace is standing and you're, you're here and your walk with Christ and your feeling is, man, I, I, I gotta make this jump. I gotta figure this out. I gotta do this. It's all about you and your effort and your work. Can I just free us of something here? And, and, and I wanna illustrate what it means to live dependently on the joyous grace of God. Because this is the reality is it what God is calling you and calling me to do? Is to just grab hold of him and he will carry you. He will hold you. He's not asking you to make that leap. He's saying, come with me, follow me. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you, I'm gonna hold you and every step that you take from there to there and to the next point, I'm gonna be with you, holding on to you. You just depend on me and on my grace. Thank you, babe. See, the call to follow Christ is not you figuring out how to make that jump. It's a surrendering of yourself to him in dependence on his grace to carry you. 
This is why Matthew said in Matthew chapter one that he is Emmanuel, God with us, and that Paul would later write that the mystery is that it is the hope of glory, that it is Christ in us. So God with us, Christ in us, dependent on him, means that he goes with us everywhere and carries us. Look at number three, that we're to live faithful. We're to live abandoned, we're to live dependent, but we're also to live faithful. Look again at verse 20. He says, at once, just underline that, that word, that phrase there, at once, they left their nets and followed him. At once they did this. So, so there was a, a, they heard the call of Jesus, they listened to the call of Jesus, and then they responded to the call of Jesus. Not a few days later, not a few hours later, not even a few seconds later, it was at once they followed after Jesus. Look on down to verse 22. John, James, they're in their boat. They're with their father, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and it says, and immediately, underline that word immediate, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. At once they left, immediately they left. This is a stark reality for the church today is that we have to begin, we must begin to move beyond just listening and to move towards learning, applying and following. We are to hear the words of Jesus. We are to listen to those words, whether it is in a small group or whether it is here on a Sunday morning in worship in whatever venue that you are listening and hearing the words of, of God from his scripture. But then we are to then respond and follow after Jesus and do exactly what he's calling us to do. He called these men to follow him and their response was to immediately follow after him. They didn't second guess it. They didn't question it. They didn't say, well, are you sure you're talking to us? Are you talking to these people over here? No, at once and immediately they left and followed after Jesus. Are we doing this church? Is our mentality and is our posture one of faithful? Is it one of leaning towards immediate obedience and faithfulness to what God has called us to do? You say, well, how do you do this, Tim? How do you live faithfully? Here's what I would say. You live faithfully through engaging. And not just engaging with anything, engaging with the holy word of God. Lifeway in their research says this, says that Bible engagement is the number one spiritual discipline for growth. Now hear me here. It is not just Bible reading. It is Bible engaging. So it means that you're reading the word of God that you are memorizing that word, that you're hiding it on your heart. And in the words that you are hiding on your heart, you are then engaging with that word in obedience, in faithfulness to do what it is telling you to do. So Bible engagement is the number one spiritual discipline for growth. And it goes on and says further, it says that people who engage the Bible, because their, their contention in their research is that Bible engagement affects every other discipline. Every other discipline says people who engage the Bible, that they pray more, they give more, they go more, and they evangelize more. So how is it then that we are going to respond faithfully and obediently to what God has called us to do? You have to, must engage with his word. See, here's the thing. My son got 18 boxes of Legos for Christmas this year. And, you know, and, and, and so in the box there are instructions to put together these things. So like th this afternoon, we're gonna go home and he got, he got like the, the, 
the, the whammy one, the big one, like the thousand piece, you know, Lego set. Um, and he sits there and he does it and all this kind of stuff. But here's how he does it. He's creative. And if you just give him a box of Legos, he'll put something together. But when you get the things that, that have like what you're supposed to build, he does it because he follows step by step the instructions and does what the instructions tell him to do. He engages He doesn't just look at the instructions and then say, well, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. No, because he sees a finished product that he wants to look at live and in person rather than just it being on the box. So he engages with those instructions in such a way and in every detail and in every step so that at the end, it looks exactly how it's supposed to look on the box. And he's faithful to that. And, and even in the times when I'm helping him and I do it wrong, he's quick to tell me that I'm doing it wrong. So then, these are more than just mere instructions. This is the words of Jesus for us, speaking to us, guiding us, leading us, empowering us. So we are to engage in it at every step, in every detail, Because what's the finished product that we're looking for? Once again, it's not just to be a better person, it's to be more like Jesus. It's not just to be a better form of you, it's to be more like Jesus. How powerful is that? Engage with the word. These disciples, they engaged with the words of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, and they did exactly that. So what is it that Jesus is calling you to do in that following after him? Where is it that he's leading you, and how is it that he is leading you? Number four, we're to live with trust. Luke records the calling of the disciples in Luke chapter five and verses one through 11. In his account, he records them out fishing and Jesus telling them where they should drop their nets for a a massive catch. Now, these men are fishermen. They're trained, they understand, they know And Jesus rolls up on the scene and they're not catching any fish. And he says, hey, how about you do this? And and in that moment, they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Once again, immediately, at once, this narrative continues through. And in the Gospel of Luke, it shows it again. But but they did something even further as Luke records. They they went against what they knew. They they went against what logic said that they should do. They, They went against what their training as fishermen said that they should do. And they did exactly what Jesus did. And it sparked for them this incredible catch of fish. And it is their trust in that moment that sparked them to trust Jesus, to leave their nets and to leave their families and to follow after him. So I, I just wanna ask us, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus, church? Not just have you trusted him for salvation. I believe that's the question for some people in the room today, have you trusted Christ for salvation? But for those of us who are believers in Christ, do you really trust Jesus with every aspect of your life? The biggest things and the smallest things. Do you trust him with your bank accounts? Do you trust him with your career? Do you trust him with your relationships? Do you trust Jesus? The disciples trusted him to leave their jobs. The disciples trusted him to leave their families. Do we trust him and that his ways are better and that his plans are sovereign? 
See, church, there's nothing in our lives that is outside the authority of Jesus Christ. Live with trust. Like, we have this dangerous tendency to try to compartmentalize Christianity. Like, that we relegate Jesus to kind of this spiritual, religious realm, not realizing that he's the Lord of every detail in our lives. That when we profess Christ, we're professing Christ not just as Jesus, we're professing Jesus as Lord over everything, that he's Lord over politics and policies, that he is Lord over budgets and bank accounts, that he is Lord over houses and cars, that he is Lord over our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions. And to follow him is to live with total, total trust in his sovereign, supreme authority in every domain and every detail of our lives. And then finally, we're to live on mission We're to live abandoned, we're to live dependent, we're to live faithful, we're to live with trust, and then we are to live on mission. In verse 19, Jesus says, come follow me. He says, and I'll send you out to fish for people. This is an urgent obedience in following Jesus that is encapsulated in fulfilling his mission, and it is why he called us in the first place. The theme of mission is prominent in Matthew's gospel. For every disciple is a disciple maker. Hear me here, church. Every disciple is a disciple maker. Like this is unconventional. Like it, it's, there's no doubt about it. It seems unconventional. It is an unconventional plan. But with the good news of the kingdom to spread throughout the world, Jesus invested his life in 12 and a few men who were around him for a few years. He loved them. He cared for them. He taught them. He invested in them. He trained them. And when he left this earth, he sent them out, empowered by his Holy Spirit, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And then these men, they went on to, to, to make more disciples who would then make more disciples and created a movement known as the Church of Jesus Christ, the church that will prevail, that nothing can take down, that nothing can defeat. These men and women gave their all to follow after Jesus because they understood that as disciples of Jesus, they were to go out and to make disciples. They were about his grand and global purpose of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is who they were. It is an unconventional plan, but it demands from you and me a universal response. Hear me here. You and I haven't made a disciple until they have made a disciple. Like replication is essential in multiplication and in disciple making. We are to be making disciples who make disciples. Every disciple is to see themselves in this manner as a disciple maker. So biblically, if we're not making disciples, then we have missed what it means to be a disciple in the first place. This is why, church, that that small groups, everyone in this room should be a part of a small group. Every one of us should be a part of a community of believers, of a small group of people, where the goal is this. It is not simply to just meet for one hour on a Sunday morning, but it is to come together alongside other believers and ask this question, how can we make disciples for the kingdom of God? How can we make disciples for the kingdom of God? You may be thinking to yourself, I I can't do that, Tim. And to which I would say, yes, that's absolutely the point. It's absolutely the point. We can't do it. That is why we need Jesus to make us what we cannot be in and of ourselves. We need him. This is the core of discipleship, that we follow after Jesus, that we pursue after Jesus, and he is the one who makes us fishers of men. So consider this, this morning. Discipleship is costly. It is absolutely costly. We have to live abandoned, dependent, faithful, trust-filled lives on mission for God and the kingdom in obedience to him. It is costly. But 
Consider the cost of non-discipleship this morning. For yourself, what if you choose to reject Jesus, to live for yourself and to die in your sin? What if you choose to settle for casual cultural Christianity that never truly encounters Christ? The cost of non-discipleship is greater than the cost of discipleship. What about community? Consider the cost for the community. Non-discipleship means that the people who know you, they get a picture of a half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity. Not something that says, man, I, I, I need that, and I want that, and I desire this Jesus. And then consider the cost for the world. Ask yourself this question. How is it that billions of people around the globe have still never heard this gospel? Could it be that in some part that the church has been content with just business as usual instead of realizing what it means to really follow the Jesus of the Bible and to spend our lives spreading the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth? See, a failure to follow Jesus has global consequences. So how is it that God is calling you this morning? Just with heads bowed and eyes closed. Is there somebody in this room this morning who just for the first time needs to take a step and follow after Christ? That you, you don't want to just be a part of a casual cultural Christianity that never encounters Christ, that you want to encounter Christ and to meet with him right now, right here. You can do that. You just pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me and to be the Lord of my life. I need you to cleanse me of my sin and to raise me up to life in you. I surrender my all to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.